this is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Lost the Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right of the London is Blue podcast. Nick, it is a Matt Law special, and you know what? It is the first time we've talked to him, basically in person, I would say, since we had beers in London. And, you know, I kind of wish we were doing this over beers, Matt, because we should be celebrating the end of the saga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we can celebrate that when I come out to the U.S. for the preseason tour. There we go. Maybe beers in the U.S. to celebrate. I'm going to hold you to that. Champagne on ice. We got it. We'll work on it. (laughs) Well, we are celebrating and we're celebrating for the reason that the saga is over Outside of an official announcement on ChelseaFC.com, the Premier League, the UK, Portugal, the EU, everybody who has to rubber stamp this thing, uh, fan approval, all happened. Bully. I think think Dr. Evil was in there too. I think there was. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. But Bully and Clear Lake Capital's bid to greenlight, our bid to purchase Chelsea has been greenlit. The takeover is official. And so, Matt, maybe in the most. Least surprising news of the moment uh, to counter all of the crazy anonymous briefings about how difficult this was going to be to get done. Uh, it is across the line. It's ready to go. And a new day has started at Chelsea. Correct. It's a new era. Like you say, we're, we're short of the official Chelsea announcement. I think that can only be made once the money has literally landed wherever it needs to land. But it's there. It's done. Bowley's has been in every day this week, I think. Um, is due to be in for the foreseeable. They're, they've started work. They're, they're getting going. The, the new era starts here. It is, it is done. And within the next 24, 48, 72 hours, we'll have some sort of pictures, announcement quotes on, on Chelsea FC, and, and that will just put the lid on it. But, yeah, you can all relax. It, there's, uh, there's no going back now. Oh, it is a good place to be, and maybe that's a, a great way to get started. It seems like there's a lot of excitement, positivity, energy. What's your understanding of just the mood in Bowley's camp and the team kind of surrounding him and that's a part of the bid about the potential, the fact it's across the line, and also the massive work that is now to be undertaken? Yeah, look, I'm told Bowley is super excited. He's been over here an awful lot recently. I mean, he's been back and forth a lot. People close to him say he basically lives on his plane. I think his home is at, over in Connecticut, um, but they say he spends more time on a plane than he does in his home. Um, through the whole takeover process, he's been back and forth, but it's felt like the last fortnight, he's pretty much just based himself over here. I know he's got a suite in a very nice hotel, as you'd imagine, um, which he's presently living in. I'm not going to name the hotel because that, that would be probably quite irresponsible of me. Um but yeah, he's uh, he's in every day, and I'm I'm told he's he's loving it. Obviously, there's a lot of work to do. Obviously, there's a lot of headaches to deal with. It's going to be twenty four seven. But it feels like he's just really excited to to get his hands on it and gets going. This, remember, this is something he's wanted since two thousand and nineteen when he first made a bid for Chelsea. He's been preparing all that time for this. You know, this has never gone away. I I reported back in two thousand and nineteen that, that he wasn't going to go away. That he was always going to carry on trying to get Chelsea and be in the background if anything changed. And during that whole time, he's been he's been trying to work out how his best-case scenario at Chelsea would look, and, and now he's he's getting a chance to, to enact that. Yeah, I think so far, uh, Matt, between some of the 
you know, fan interactions on the streets that have been kind of at random and the way that you've seen him, uh, you know, during matches and even kind of coming onto the pitch uh, on Sunday to kind of greet the players and Thomas Tuchel after the match. Like, he seems relatively relaxed uh, about the biggest purchase of a sports franchise ever. Uh, like, I, I don't know, maybe that's just like rich guy vibes, but... Um, to me, it seems like he's not he's not too anxious about all this stuff, which is wild. People people who know him really, really well and have worked with him for years say that that is just him, that what you see is what you get with him, a relaxed guy. People say they've never seen him in an Armani suit. He's, he, he likes to dress down, shall we say, um, which I'm totally down with. I'm a dress down kind of guy myself. Um, and he, he, you know, again, going back to our favorite theme of beer, a guy who likes to sit and have a beer and, and chew the fat and and very for, for a billionaire for a billionaire very, very normal by the sounds of things approachable i think there's a sense that one thing they do need to do is communicate well with the chelsea fans they're, they're very aware that the chelsea fans um had a great ride under roman abramovich you know whatever, whatever people say about roman abramovich now obviously that that's a different matter but in terms of his chelsea ownership Chelsea fans have had a great, great ride under him and will always look back very fondly on that. And Bowley's very aware of that and very aware that he needs to communicate well with the Chelsea fan base and communicate and be open with them and and let them feel like they are going to be part of something. So, Matt, as we talk about how Bowley is going to communicate, he's going to need to indicate to supporters what the plan is, what the next steps are, the next phase of this journey for a supporter... Uh, it's like uh, getting a brand new parent. Like it says, it feels unnatural in a bit of a way. What is your sense for? You know, we we have some. We know some of the names who are affiliated with the bid, who are going to be part of the day to day operations. But what what's your sense of how the organizational structure is going to be set up? Who's going to be responsible to do what? And are there familiar faces like Bruce and Marina? Have they been convinced fully yet to to stay around? First of all, I think Todd Bowley is going to be very hands on. He, I, I think he plans to spend an awful lot of time in London, from what I'm told. And certainly for the foreseeable future, I think he's going to be around a lot. So I think he's going to be hands-on. It's not going to be some sort of absent ownership. I know he's not the only part of the ownership, but he's very clearly the face of the ownership. And he is the guy we've always said, whilst not necessarily holding the biggest shareholding, will have the sort of controlling stake, as it were. He's going to he's going to lead on how Chelsea's run with, with his own ideas. And he will be around a lot, very hands-on. That, that is absolutely for sure. In terms of how the structure is going to work, it's still, I'm afraid it's still not quite clear. I mean, I am told that literally this week and these next few days when he's over, that is, that is the big talks at the moment of how the board is going to look, how, who are going to take director places. Obviously he will, Egg Barley will from Clear Lake for, for sure. We know the non-executive, directors Barbara Sharon, Daniel Finkelstein. My feeling is is that Marina and Bruce will probably remain in the short term. I don't quite know where we are in the long term with them. Um, but I'm told that these talks are happening. You know, they have to, at the end of the day, they have to offer um, Bruce and Marina a position and they have to outline what how they see that position. And even though the job title could retain, remain the same, the job might not retain the same. One huge thing, actually, 
and I'm not sure whether this will be a short term or a long term thing, I suspect long term, is, is does the group bring in a chief executive? Because Chelsea haven't had a chief executive for years now. And Chelsea chief executives, I think the last the last official chief executive might have been Ron Gourlay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Christian Perslow came in as a marketing guy or something for a while. He he kind of thought he was chief executive and he didn't last too long. Um the 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 power the power at Chelsea has always been very streamlined and very clear. So were Bowley to bring in his own chief executive, that that would be an interesting ingredient and might have knock-on effects to to what people like Bruce and Marina think about their long-term futures. Like I said, I don't think it's probably something for the short term, but I think in the next few days we'll get a, an idea of what the what the board and the directors and the structure will look like. But I suspect just because of the nature of how long this is taken and i appreciate it's been rushed through in that a takeover would normally take eight to nine months but i think there had been at the start of the process a hope from the bowling group they'd be in by the end of april which would have given them a run of a month till the end of the season to maybe actually start from kind of where they want to end up to be but now with it being the end of may and the transfer window upon us and and the need to not fall behind i think potentially there has to be maybe a strategy to just get in get things going and then Things will evolve, shall we say, over the next six months to, to probably 12 months. So, look, there's a whole list of like player priorities and, <laughs> and contracts that we're going to get into uh, after this. But just thinking of all of the work to do, do you have a sense of like the three to five things outside of players, which are a whole, again, a whole different deal that... Uh, Todd Bowley and Co are going to be focused on, uh, you know, including things like the stadium and sponsorships and stuff like that. Do you have a good sense of of what their kind of core priorities will be? Two massive priorities have got to be sponsorship issues, because obviously the main shirt sponsor suspended their sponsorship. They still have a year left to run on their sponsorship, um, and talks have got to be held and will be held very quickly if they're not already being held about how that moves forward. Um, so that that's number one. To be honest as well, it's been quite clear now for a couple of months, I wrote about it, that a year out from a main shirt sponsorship, Chelsea would already be looking to put out to tender that sponsorship anyway to see what's around. That's normal. Um, so they will have an idea of already of any other companies who might have been willing to take it. And, and Todd Bowley might have his own companies he's in touch with who are, who are willing. So the sponsorship outside player... The sponsorship one is huge. That has to get resolved one way or the other, at least for the for next season. And obviously, they're going on a tour. You know, the preseason tour, the the sponsorship on a big season preseason tour is a is a huge thing for sponsors and, and stuff like that. So, that is a massive off the field issue. The other huge issue actually is um, is the people who sort of lost their jobs during all this. You know, the the contractors, the people who worked at the Chelsea mega store who weren't able to work, they're going to need pretty quick assurance that their jobs are going to be okay that their pay is going to remain um whether there's any form of backdating any payments i don't know about that um if stories are true about certain people getting certain bonuses maybe they could put towards people getting some sort of back pay i don't know but you know that people's job sponsors and people's jobs are going to be very high on on the list and i suspect people's jobs are going to be higher on the list than player recruitment quite honest with you um and then, yeah, stadium, 
look, they, they, they want to work fast on the stadium and work has already started on plans for how they would do the stadium, don't get me wrong. Um, but there are a few things they need to get in and get their feet under the table and start doing probably quicker before they actually get get going on that stadium. Albeit, the guy who's probably responsible for the stadium, Jonathan Goldstein, is way beyond the directors. He's not being listed within the sort of shareholders and all, all that business when you see the official announcement. So maybe he's got time just to dedicate purely onto the stadium because he's not involved in the other stuff. Can I ask a, a quick follow-up on why he's not being included in that structure do you have any idea i think it's two twofold is pretty simple one which has always been clear he's not putting any significant money in okay um he's not any money in in the bid he is brains in the bid he is a business partner of todd bowley who they know has huge huge knowledge of uh property development and, and things like that and he is there to massively help them on the stadium and the development around the stadium he, he was never part of the bid to pump money into the bid. So that's that's the big reason. And the second reason is no one's lied about it. He is a, a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Um, and I think there's probably an acknowledgement that to bring a Tottenham Hotspur fan onto the board or into the shareholding when you first start might not be the wisest idea. And let's see how it goes with him. Let's see how people take to him. Let's see if he wants to do anything. And maybe one day in the future he becomes part of it. And maybe he doesn't. Maybe just remains an advisor and a business partner to Todd Bowley. Who knows? What What is interesting with him is lots of people do say that this deal would have never happened without him. So it's strange how he's been very influential in it and yet won't, won't be one of the main names listed in it. Well, we have a ton more to get into this episode, including Tuchel, players, and so much more. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this ad break. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat. And now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more... Uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it, it's easy, it's fast, it's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it. It, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so Matt, another name that has been talking about the new ownership is talking about the fact that his summer plans 
canceled. They're done. They're over. Thomas Tuchel has to go back to work immediately on what happens next at Chelsea. What's your understanding for how he's being engaged, thought of, viewed, and potentially even given some keys, given some more power? What's the the role that Tuchel is going to be playing now? Oh, he'll play a huge, a huge role. I think he will he will very much be the driver on the football side. They will they will tap in massively to him. I know that they're hugely impressed with him, both in terms of what he's achieved football wise, but also how he's dealt with the whole situation. Um, they don't see Bar, Pep, and Klopp. They don't see a better manager out there in the world. They think he's up there with Pep and Klopp. It's just a case of empowering him. Um, and allowing him to maybe do what Pep and, and Klopp done, or give, certainly give him a chance to. Um, so yeah, I think his his power actually probably grows. I mean, he's 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 very much seen as as if not the most valuable asset within the club, but certainly one of the most valuable assets. He's chosen, by the way, not to take any holiday. It's not like he's been told he has to cancel his holiday. That's he, fair fair point uh, to make. <laughs> <laughs> he's decided there's just no time that. And look, he might have a holiday down the line just before the tour if things have already, if things do move fast and he's he's got what he needs to line up and he can't really do anything about it then. But all this week, all next week, probably all the following week, it's going to be transfer talks, transfer talks, contract talks, Aspie talks, um, and him studying also just how any marginal gains he can make. Um, particularly on the attacking side, he made it clear that he's going to study those numbers on the attackers against their rivals and not only look at the transfer market, but look in depth and carefully about his own strategies about how those numbers can improve. Yeah, it, w- it would have been a busy summer f- for him, regardless of the ownership situation and all that stuff. Most people don't realize, like, coaches get a six week window to really look at their own teams you know, free of distractions, right? I mean, yeah. this doesn't really happen during the year. You're doing multiple training sessions and traveling and dealing with injuries, dealing with dumb player interviews, dealing with all sorts of stuff, right? Like, this is really the time where they get to, you know, nerd out. I believe there's an interview that Pep did a few years ago where he was like, I spend the first few weeks of every offseason just breaking down film because they're that nuts about it. Um do you get a sense of you know how he might be engaged from a contract perspective, Matt, with the new ownership? Are they going to kind of try and lock him in for a, a longer period of time? I don't think so, um, only because they need to work with each other for a bit. And that's not because there's no um, desire to, to... I think they definitely see him as long-term. And if don't get me wrong, if they got wind that Thomas Tuchel was willing to sign a six-year contract, I suspect they'd put a six-year contract in front of him. But, but Thomas Tuchel isn't going to. Thomas Tuchel for, is one hundred and ten percent committed to Chelsea. But having never worked for these guys before, he's not going to walk into a room and immediately sign his life away to them because he has. Let's face it, he has no idea of how this shakes down to start with. He he can be told everything. You know, they can promise him the world and promise him everything, but he needs to see it for a little bit. And I think it would just be odd for them to to walk in and and say to him. Right, first thing we want to do is put you in handcuffs, kind of thing. I think, I think everyone just needs to sort of feel each other. Everyone trusts each other. He's got two years on his deal. He's made it clear he's not going anywhere publicly. He know. I think he knows that they're very engaged with trying to empower him. I think he's had 
a lot of positive messaging from their side about how they see him. Um, he'll definitely want to see them. He'll he'll definitely want to see more of them. He remember he stayed out of this process right till the end. So right up until the last few weeks, he he won't really have had any idea what these guys are like. So no, I, I just don't think that 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 is sort of relevant at the moment in terms of looking at his contract. They've got too many other things to do: transfers, player contracts, the, and and player futures is what he's he's concentrating on, and and that will shape his longer term view at Chelsea. You know, it's it's clear he's committed at the moment, but in terms of whether he he thinks he can he's going to be given the chance to do something like Pep at City or, or Klopp at Liverpool. The next six to 12 months are going to shape that in his mind of how he sees it all actually working in practice. So maybe switching gears then, because one of the things that Tuchel will have a immense impact on and Bully and team will need to figure out is what's going on with how Chelsea will actually feel the team next season? Because everybody's leaving, nobody's staying, uh, maybe a little bit of hyperbole there, Matt, but Potential outgoings, very high. The need for incomings are extremely strong. There's a huge list of players associated with incoming and outgoing. So maybe we start with the outgoings of players who are potentially leaving that Tuchel might try to convince to stay and which ones he's happy with potentially allowing to leave if the right deal comes around. Yeah, look, I mean, I went through it the other day and of the 26 or 27-man squad, there are sort of issues regarding 14 of the players. Three we know are going for certain, obviously Rüdiger, Christensen, Sal. And then the others fall into a few different brackets. We've got guys who I think have definitely been questioning their future over their last weeks. And that, that's quite a long list. And that will include your Zietches and your Werners and your Pulisic's, people like that. Then you've got um, people they need to just take some big decisions over like Jorginho and Kante with one year left on their deals. Do they go in and offer them new deals? Do they risk them running down? Do they look at whether there'll be bids for them? And then you've obviously got sort of Lukaku in terms of what the hell do you do about that situation? And there's going to be some pretty crunch talks there. So there's kind of, there's three or four categories that they all fall into. And while it feels like there probably will be quite a big squad turnover this summer. At the end of the day, they could just turn around and say, you know what, the three guys are going and the three guys who are going to go and we're going to we're going to sort of not let anybody else go because we can't afford to just have such a huge turnover. But in terms of the Ziyech and the Pulisic and the Werners, that will also depend slightly on what they feel they can do incoming. They're not just going to let all those guys go without knowing they can do deals incoming. So there's, there's decisions to be made there. But... I've got to say, look, it's a difficult period. It's a period of transition. But I I actually think Chelsea have needed this for a while. I've written about it before. I know Chelsea have continued to win cups and trophies. And every time they win a cup, it undermines my point slightly. But my point in the league is that this, this team needs to be... It's a hodgepodge of a very talented squad. It's a hodgepodge of managers. It's a hodgepodge of different styles. It's a hodgepodge of characters. And it needs to be, it, it needs some revolution in it now. It needs to sort of organically shed some people and and it needs to be done in somebody's image. And, and that image now can be Thomas Tuchel. So I actually think it's not going to be fixed in one transfer window. It's, it's much to fix it all in one transfer window. But I actually think there's a huge opportunity there. There's some There's some natural organic change coming because of the contracts and because of the situation that Chelsea are in. 
And I actually think that's been needed now for two or three years. And I think it's a huge opportunity. Yeah, as I was doing the exercise, I came up with a conservative 11. So I'm, I'm glad that, that you even one-upped me, uh, Matt, in terms <laughs> of players who might come and go. You know, I think two that are are hot on the list, you know, in addition to the to the three that you've mentioned already, are uh, Cesar Espilicueta and Mark Alonso, uh, two uh, big contributors for Chelsea this year. Uh, Espilicueta obviously being our captain. Um, both have rumors of them going to Barcelona. Can you talk a little bit about what their situation is? Look, Tuchel, Tuchel wants to keep Espilicueta if he can. Um, and I think those talks will, will be happening now. I think he's very keen to, to get a definitive on on what what they feel they should do with Aspie now. And that will slightly depend on Aspie too. Um, even if Aspie is thinking in the back of his head he would like to go, if he can turn around to them and say, look, if you do keep me, I'm still fully, fully committed to this and I can go again, then I, I think they might say to him, well, we, we're going to have to try and get another year out of you. You know, we, we, we need you for another year. As much for his leadership as, as as on the pitch, but I do think if Aspie actually turns around to them and says, "Look, I've given however many years it is, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, I've, I've given everything to this club, and this is just a natural break, and I don't I don't feel I can be a hundred percent engaged." I think at that point they would say, "Okay, okay, we'll 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 uh, we'll let you go, and we'll we'll sort of cover for it." So. There's, there's big talks to be held on that, and it's going to depend very much on what Aspie turns around and tells them. Because I think if Aspie does turn around and tell them, look, look, I'll, I'll do another year, you can count on me, they'll buy hand, his hand off for that continuity. So that that I think that's more pressing for them than Alonso. I think Tuchel would take a bid on Alonso. I'd be quite surprised if he if he didn't take a bid on Alonso. But in the in the past, they've overvalued Alonso. You know, they've put huge price tags on Alonso in the past um, that nobody's been willing to pay. Um, and I, I don't I don't know at this stage what what they would value him at. I think he's got one year left on his contract. Is that right? I'm talking again, talking off the top of my head. You know, they won't want to lose him for free. Um, they don't want to lose all that. You know. Having lost two defenders for free this summer, they don't want to risk losing another load of players for free next summer. So you'd imagine if a, a half-decent bid comes for Alonso, they will accept it. And, and and I think the time's probably right for Alonso as well. Again, my point's been undermined because every time I think Alonso at Chelsea's finished, that he seems to have another life left in him. He's a bit like a cat with nine lives. <laughs> but I think he may have used up that ninth life now, to be honest with you. So if you had a lean right now, you lean Alonso out as Pulgueta stay? I don't I, I don't know. I can't call Aspilicueta. I cannot 50, call Aspilicueta. 50-50. I'm going to sit on the fence on that. I cannot call it. I would lean on Alonso out. Um, but yeah, I can't call Aspilicueta right now. So thinking about the renewals before we talk about the replenishment or the recruitment, you mentioned Ngola Conte, you mentioned Jorginho, two midfielders, both struggled with injuries this past season after winning, being the duo that helped win the Champions League. What's your sense on maybe their individual desire to stay or go and what the club's view might be at this point? I think I've said on here before, I don't see the point on doing anything with Kante. I don't, I don't, 
I don't see a scenario where Kante signs a new contract this summer. So I don't really see the sense of it from his own personal perspective. Um, but Tuchel, we, we all heard that Tuchel press conference after the Leicester game about, you know, Kante being Chelsea's Neymar and their Mbappe and their whatnot. And so he obviously wants him around. I just don't really see any point in rushing. Just just let the Kante situation play out for a while. You know, Tuchel will tell, clearly tell the ownership, do not sell this guy. It's very clear from his words he's going to tell the ownership, do not sell this guy. We need to find a way, rather than selling this guy, I want to find a way to get this guy on the pitch more often. Um, but I don't see why Kante would sign a new contract at the moment, the way football's going with players very much keeping their futures in their own hands. So just let it go. Let it go for a while. There's no rush there. There's no panic. I don't see a panic there. I think Jorginho is a bit different because... I think if you got a bid for Jorginho, it would be would be tempting. But I personally think Jorginho's future might be intertwined with Aspie's because should Aspie go, can you then let Jorginho go? Because that's both your captains. And, you know, Thiago Silva can't speak English. I've interviewed him. He can say no and yes pretty much. You know, he can't really speak any English. So you can't have Thiago Silva as a captain. So can you sell two captains in one? Can you let two captains go in one summer? And there's not a lot of captains in that squad. You know, Mason Mount maybe, but he's young. Way too early for Reese James and he's quite a quiet lad. Um, I don't see natural captains in that. So you'd have to sign a captain. Um, so I think Jorginho's future could could actually end up being quite intertwined with what Aspilicueta does. Because I think it would be a huge risk from a leadership perspective and a dressing room perspective for them both to go in one summer unless you were really bringing in someone you thought, yeah, here's the captain for the next three or four years. Are you on the fence about Jorginho's chances as well? Well, as I say, it's, it's, I think it's intertwined with Aspilicueta. Um, if, it, if it was my decision, if it was my decision, if, you got a, if, you, if there was a decent move out there for him, I think this would be the time to do it. I'd, I'd, I'd be re- reluctant to give him, very reluctant to give him a new contract. I think... Possibly we've seen Jorginho's best ever season already uh, and we've got to look forward. But I totally also respect and, and believe in the fact that you would lose a lot from the dressing room. And we've seen in the past how that can affect Chelsea. Remember, after Mourinho came back, he had Drogba for a year, won the title. Drogba goes, the dressing room fell apart. Everything turned horrible. Uh, Conte won the, his first Premier League's uh, in his first season with John Terry as part of the squad, not playing very much. He left the dressing room the next year. The dressing room fell to pieces. You, you, you do have to consider these things. It can make things very difficult. And, and Rudiger, Rudiger is a different kind of leader in that I don't think he was ever likely to be made permanent captain or anything. But he was, he was a loud voice and someone in that dressing room who, when he was in the right mood, could inspire people. And they've lost him as well. So... You, I think it would be a massive risk to lose Rüdiger, Haspilicueta and Jorginho from the dressing room in one summer. You also mentioned uh, a bunch of attackers that uh, potentially impacted by incomings, but Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech, Christian Pulisic, and even Lukaku um, looking to reportedly hold talks, uh, have his entourage hold talks now that the ownership is set, now that the manager has a clear thought about what's going to happen next year. What's your understanding about how different this attack could look and maybe who's 
you know, if we're talking about fence sitting, which ones you're maybe off the fence on where uh, that you are more thought, you know, more of a mind that they could leave for the right offer? Yeah, look, I definitely think Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner are the two most obvious who could leave for the right offer. I think it's pretty clear that they don't quite, quite fit with what Tuchel wants to do. That I think it's very clear as well that the, the pair of them haven't been that happy with what they feel the opportunities they've got. Ziyech didn't come in for a huge fee, remember? It wasn't a massive fee, so I don't think they've got to sort of demand fortune for ZH. So there, there might be a move out there for, for ZH, I would imagine. Um, Timo might be a bit more tricky. He's very high wages. He's, he's second, you know, I think he's maybe third or fourth on the wage bill. Extremely high wages. So whether you can find someone who can pay his wages is a, a, a different one. But I, I, I do think if offers came that they would sell one or both of those players. And I think both of those players would probably favor going at this stage I don't I don't I think they both know they're never really going to be central to Tuchel's plans now um and Tuchel made it very clear right at the end of the season that he feels he needs something whether he changes the team around the attackers to try and get it more but there was more a sense when when I was involved with interviews with him that he felt maybe he needs something different in terms of personnel in that attack to, to bring better numbers. And I think he means assists as well as, as goals. He needs, he needs more reliable numbers from those players. I mean, you've got Mount who can play, obviously, one side of a three who can provide very reliable numbers. Even with Lukaku, I think you can guarantee Lukaku is going to score 15, 20 goals every season. He finished up with 15 goals this season, let's remember, and we all call it a bit of a disastrous first season back you're probably looking at the other position. I, I think they're probably looking, unless they can sell Lukaku and bring another striker in, which I, I just, this is my own opinion. I just don't see what, what where they could sell Lukaku this summer. I, I don't see how they do that. So I think there's probably the position off the left or sort of playing behind where he's tried to get Pulisic going. I think that position is the position where they could potentially bring someone in to, to try and boost those numbers and and make more of an impact. So, yeah, you touched on a couple of things there. I'll, I'll start with Lukaku. Where does he where does he go from here? I mean, it's it's Look, I'm still of the opinion. I am still of the opinion that they've got to try and have a very strong preseason with him. I, I mean, I would be hammering the guy in preseason and sitting down and having some very frank discussions with him, looking at him closely in preseason and hoping to God that in the first two weeks of preseason, he looks like a guy who's got the bit between his teeth and is ready to sort of make this work. Um, they haven't had a preseason together. I think that does get lost in, in what's happened with Lukaku. They, they didn't have a preseason together. He'd been off at the Euros. They brought him in late. Um, and he had, he had no preseason with Chelsea. And I think that, that, that could be massive for him as long as he wants that. If you bring him in for preseason in the first two weeks, everything looks a little bit the same then maybe you look at that point to, to what's out there in terms of an incoming deal. But I, I just don't see it. The money he's on, the money you would have to recoup, I think. And also, lots of clubs have this with players where, you know, Mane's first season at Liverpool wasn't a great first season at Liverpool. It seems to be at other clubs you're allowed a slow first season. Guardiola's had it with millions of players where they have a slow first season. Why not make it? I'd like to see Chelsea try and make it work with Lukaku, and I'd like to see Lukaku try and make it work with Chelsea. So 
I, I hope they both knock their heads together and come back just raring to, to make this work for pre-season. And I'd, I'd be really interested if they can get him really going in pre-season where that one can go. Then we'll, we'll kind of finish up with, with Pulisic chatter. Um, <laughs> I think if you were to pull Chelsea fans right now, the reason I'm saying that is we have for our last two episodes, it, it just feels to me like a majority of Chelsea fans wouldn't mind seeing the back of him. Um, do you get the sense that he's antsy for a move or that he wants to figure it out or you know what? It's, it was a weird season for him. His dad kind of let the cat out of the bag, didn't didn't he? You know, he's, he's, it's not like, I think we'd be pretty naive to think his dad hasn't been speaking to his son quite regularly about how he feels and, and that tweet, what he, what, what he put out claiming were his feelings. I think we can probably take a leap of faith that, that that's pretty much how Christian was feeling at, at that time. And he looked a little bit broken at the end of the season after the, the sort of cup final where he missed a lot of chances. And then the Leicester game where he missed a really good chance. Can't remember whether there's one or two, but certainly one really good chance. Um, almost an open goal. Um, I felt the wrath of the Christian Pulisic Twitter after the FA Cup. I wasn't really aware of Christian Pulisic Twitter, I've got to be honest. And after the FA Cup final, when I wrote a piece about the fact that he's good, but he needs to be better, I really felt the wrath of Christian Pulisic Twitter, who were very quick to, to pile in on me. But... His numbers aren't good enough. You know, goals and assists, they're not, they're not good enough. He gets into too many good positions. He he plays well, but then when the big moment comes, he, he doesn't take it. And you can't you can't rely on him. So I look, I, I would I would replace him. And I think even if he stays at the club, I, I think there's a good chance a player comes in in that position that sort of relegates him down the pecking order a little bit. Um I don't know whether there's a move out there for him this summer. I've got to be honest. But, um, yeah, I, I think his position, like I say, you've got Mount on one side who, whatever the ridiculous debate about Mason Mount, his numbers are always sensational. You've got a central attacker in Havertz whose numbers last season were getting a lot better and is only going to get better. I think we can all agree that I, I only see Havertz getting better. I, I never see Havertz getting worse. I, I still think he's going to be in a top, 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 top player. You've got Havertz and Lukaku for that sort of central position at the moment. I do think it's the Pulisic position, stroke Werner position off the left or slightly in behind where they will look to bring somebody in. Well, speaking of incomings, there's a lot of work. If we're, if we're saying 11 to 14 between the two of you conservatively have question marks over their heads, that means Chelsea are going to need to bring in some new players. And Matt, from your piece it seems like a majority of the focus is going to be on replenishing the defense for Tuchel. Uh, lots of names uh, from basically every top league in Europe uh, <laughs> all being scouted. What's your sense on maybe most likely or the players that are that Chelsea are most interested in from an, uh, a defensive standpoint? They've got, look, I'm told they've got an eight-man list, which which means obviously there is there is quite a lengthy... A lengthy process going on so it will take in a lot of leagues and a lot of names I, I i know some of the players who are towards the bottom of that list so i would probably say realistically it's a six-man list because the guys who are towards the bottom of the list i i realistically don't see joining chelsea and i i, I don't really want to say their names on here because it wouldn't be fair on them um but you know it, it's an open secret worst kept secret in the world jules kunde top of the list 
the sort of Christensen stroke Aspilicueta replacement can play on the right side of a back three, can play at right wing back. They wanted him last summer. The, the, the lad himself was devastated. The move didn't happen. Um, I fully expect that to happen. Fully expect that to happen. The 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 next defender is is the the trickier one. The lad at RB Leipzig, whose name I cannot pronounce, the Croatian lad. He's only twenty. I've I've not really seen much of him play, but but people who've watched him are very excited about this lad, and I know he's being scouted heavily by Chelsea. Very very interested in him. The, the probably the only slight fear probably from Chelsea's point of view over him will be the fact he's only twenty, and while that is very very positive for the long term are you bringing a 20 year old in to come in and 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 come in and and go straight into the defense and having to rely on him straight away um but certainly he is he is high on that list as well and then you've got all kinds of people after that who and the other problem is is that everybody's looking for defense this is a big summer for defenders you know Tottenham want at least one left-sided central defender Manchester United want at least one left-sided central defender. It seems that Pau Torres at Villarreal is is probably the the guy who's likely to end up at Man United. But Chelsea scouts have looked at him. Um, Gleeson Bremer at, at Torino, who's won Serie A defender of the season, is sparking a whole lot of interest. Um, the lad uh, is it Kim Bembele at, at PSG. Kim we, Bembe. We know yeah, the yeah. Um, we know that um, Thomas Tuchel absolutely loves him. So there's going to be a lot of names on those, but the, Koundé, I fully expect to happen. The RB Leipzig lad, probably as we speak today, I think is is very high chance. Um, but there's other names, and there's 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 a lot to throw into the mix there. But it, it could be that Tuchel was hinting that he might want three central defenders at the cent- at the end of the season. He he was kind of telling us, look, if the Christensen and Rüdiger situations weren't happening, we'd be looking at, at some succession planning for Thiago Silva right now. So he was kind of hinting maybe maybe there's three to be done there. And the fact that Koundé can play right wing back as well as on the right side of a three, maybe that allows two more natural centre-backs to, to come in as well as... That. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three. That time will tell. But that—that's the priority. I think they've got to go fast on the centre backs because the way Tuchel plays, you need the centre backs in for pre-season. You need them in fast, and you need them having a full pre-season with everybody else. Otherwise, the central defensive positions could be a mess at the start of the season. I know I'm going to mix in some loans here, Dan. So forgive me for ruining your perfect script. But I, I would be remiss if we didn't ask about Levi Colwell and his future potentially coming back into Chelsea after a stellar season in the championship. What were your, what are, your, what are you hearing on that? I should say. Well, they're very impressed with him. I think he'll come back in pre-season for everybody to look at. But my my gut instinct would be that he'd probably. Um, if Huddersfield were to get up, I could see him spending another loan on at Huddersfield, or they might look for a Premier League loan. I think we're probably one season too early for Levi Colwell in the situation Chelsea are in, stepping straight in. Um, he's 18. Uh, but, you know, look, if he comes in and does well pre-season, I didn't think, you know, if you'd have asked me this time last season about Trevor Chalaber, I'd have had him no chance uh, in Chelsea's 11. And then in pre-season, he really impressed Thomas Tuchel. So, There'll be an opportunity there for him in pre-season, but my, my gut would be that probably one more year of loan for him. 
Well, Nick, do you want to talk about your favorite list of names here? Attackers? The attackers. Let's do it. Um, look, there's a ton of uh, mostly nonsense out there around attackers, uh, at least from what I can see. But between Neymar, what? Uh, and Cuckoo from RB Leipzig. Uh, Sterling obviously has questions over his Man City future. Does Broja come back? Or Broja, I should say, is, is the right pronunciation. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on the attackers? I mean, you kind of identify that left side, Matt, as as kind of the key area. What are you thinking? I think Sterling is an interesting one. Uh, one year left on his contract, and Chelsea have had a historical interest in Raheem Sterling. Chelsea have always been in the background with Raheem Sterling, so it's clear that their existing scouting department and existing decision makers have always had a little eye on. Raheem Sterling, he looks to me like he would suit the way Tuchel wants to play really well. Um, presses well from obviously playing under Guardiola. I know he does miss chances, but his numbers consistently have been really, really impressive at City. Um, I think he's an interesting one, but you know, who knows what he's going to do at City? So he he's probably one that people at the club are currently monitoring and probably being asked to be kept in touch with what his situation. But I've never actually spoken to Tuchel about Raheem Sterling, so I I, I, sh- I shouldn't make out that I know that Tuchel wants Raheem Sterling because I don't know that. I don't know what Tuchel thinks of Raheem Sterling. But if you look at it from the ownership perspective, they will want a couple of... I think they're going to let Tuchel drive it. But if you're a new owner, you would like um, a bit of a razzmatazz signing. You know, you, you want something that's going to excite people. You want something that's going to put a few names on shirts and, and, and get people excited. And for me, Sterling would be that, you know, taking a player off Manchester City and England International, someone whose numbers have been so consistently good. I think Sterling would be that slightly razzmatazz start signing. So... Just that's just I think one I'd, I'd say that's just one to keep an eye on his situation. And Cuckoo, everybody loves him. Cuckoo, all the top clubs are looking at him. Cuckoo, everybody. RB Leipzig are desperately trying to get him onto a new contract with a release clause in, which I think they ended up doing with Timo Werner back in the day. Um, yeah, everybody would 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 like to sort of get in on 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 that one. Um, he's a data. I think he's probably one of the data guys' dreams and. And that, that sort of thing. Um, Neymar, I, I don't know where that's come from, to be quite honest with you. I, I mean, when we talk about razzmatazz, yeah, sure, that would give an awful lot of razzmatazz. I, I don't know where that's come from. I haven't heard. I can't see that in a million years, quite frankly. The, the, for the listener, the look on Matt's face when Neymar <laughs> came up. <laughs> oh, uh, remember, I mean, remember that Thomas Tuchel has, has been through quite a traumatic time at, at PSG where... Neymar was one of the players. And maybe Neymar was one of the guys he got on with really well. I don't know. But yeah, wow. What, what's Neymar on a week? 500 grand? Four One grand? billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But the, the, that, that, those sorts of, yeah, the, the Sterlings and Cuckoos and people, I think, are definitely worth keeping an eye on. And, and that, that position of someone who can play off, off the left, and post really good numbers, I think is is definitely uh, definitely worth keeping keeping an interest in. So the last group, if we kind of think about uh, all positions of the pitch, uh, midfielders, we know that uh, 
Shumeni kind of continues to look less and less likely as Real Madrid, PSG kind of get into a little bit of a war now um, on trying to get his signature. Rice probably is still too expensive for an individual player when you need to get three, four, five players in this summer. So any sense on who might come in there, or is it just a matter of a Connor Gallagher, a Billy Gilmore, some loan players coming back in and, and deputizing in that space? Look, what I would say is if you look at Bowley's record, well, I say Bowley's record because he's only part owner, but Bowley and Walter and the ownership of the, the LA Dodgers, what I would say is if if Tuchel, I think, probably went, there's, there's probably around £200 million to spend, as I've written, and obviously there'll be some to and fro with players out, and does that add to the 200 or is it part of the 200 It's always very hard to know that, to be quite honest with you. Getting into those kind of details with people is very difficult to, to know for sure. I would suspect that there's probably around 200 there, and, and if they sell, there, there could be a little bit more than 200 to to actually spend. But if all of a sudden they thought they could do, you know, I know that West Ham say 150 million for Rice, but if if all of a sudden they thought they got, got win that they could do Rice for 80 million and Tuchel went to Bowley and said, look, I know that you said X amount and we're up to X amount, but we can get Declan Rice this summer and Declan Rice is the guy to finish my team. Given the, the spending record of the LA Dodgers and what I hear of Bowley and Walter, I'd be very surprised if they turned around and said, well, no, we're not going to even try. So um, whilst Declan Rice's valuation is certainly prohibitive, I, I wouldn't fully switch off from that and say no chance. I, I think we have to take West Ham's £150 million with a bit of a pinch of salt and we have to wait to try and get a sense of what Tuchel's actually telling Bowley of the, his main guys. Um, they will want to back him. They will want to back him. Um, and there's always ways of doing deals and ways of, of doing transfers. So I wouldn't totally write that one off. Chimeni looks as though it's gone, to be honest with you. It looks like he's joined, joining Real Madrid. That, that ship looks to have sailed. Man City look as though they're, they're heavily in for Calvin Phillips, which you would imagine cuts off any anything in terms of Calvin Phillips. So, yeah, there's so many priorities on the pitch. I actually think... I thought before the end of the season that the two big priorities would be the centre-back positions and maybe a midfielder. Having listened to Tuchel more and more, I think things have shifted. I think it's the central positions and sorting out maybe another attacking position. I think maybe the midfielder is something that he'd love to do, but but maybe has dropped down the list of priorities a little bit. Because when he looks at the gap between Chelsea, City and Liverpool... I think he thinks the numbers at the top of the pitch have got to get a lot better, a lot quicker, no matter what he does at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And they've drawn too many games. Yeah, You only have to look at their results. They've drawn so many games and you don't turn draws into victories by signing a defensive midfielder. You turn draws into victories by improving something at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, it would be... Uh, Nick Verlani's priority one is offensive efficiency uh, in front of goal. So if we can make that happen, great. A, a final note, Max. I know we're almost at the hour mark here. Thoughts on Kepa's future? Look, I think Kepa wants to leave. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that Kepa wants to leave. Not because I don't think there's any row or fallout. I think everyone I hear is so praiseworthy of Kepa's attitude of how he's handled what's happened to him at Chelsea and 
how he's handled his own situation. There's not been a murmur of discontent of him not being involved in the finals, of him not coming on for the FA Cup penalties. But it's become increasingly clear that his his position has, has sort of regressed again a little bit. He was the cup keeper, but now he doesn't get finals. He was the penalty keeper, but now he doesn't get penalties. Um, he's got a World Cup like a lot of people to aim at. He would like to leave, but the big but, selling goalkeepers is always difficult because obviously only one club's going to only have one first choice goalkeeper. And selling goalkeepers who cost that much money and are on those wages, albeit they'd obviously have to accept a lot less, is even more difficult. So, wow, what a job to try and sell him. But I'm 99.9% I'm confident that he, he would like to leave. I'm 99.9% confident that Chelsea would actually like to try and find a move for him, as much as out of respect for him as well. Um, and also... It's ridiculous having a £75 million substitute goalkeeper on, on his wages. It's just madness. Um, but whether they can do it is a whole whole other kettle of fish. And, and if Marina stays, that'll be one for Marina to work some magic on. Well, we will have plenty of time this summer, uh, if Marina stays, to talk about the magic that she can concoct and what happens in the new era at Chelsea, the Todd Bowley, Clear Lake Capital era, but Matt, any final thoughts for the listeners before we get you out of here? I think I've said this before, and I'm not a Chelsea fan. I, I think it's exciting. I know lots of people are worried about this summer for Chelsea, and I agree there's a lot of work to be done. I think it's totally unrealistic to expect Chelsea to be in a position to win the league next season. But you don't only have to enjoy football to, to win the league. I think it's a really exciting time for a, a transition and a bit of, like I say, organic organic evolution at Chelsea and I think I just think people should enjoy it and embrace it um and I'm 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 just really looking forward to seeing how this pans out I'm just fascinated by it really fascinated by it I'm also looking forward to a holiday <laughs> well we, we are definitely looking forward to uh welcoming you into the U.S. and uh seeing you again in in short order and uh again uh having you hold us to some of those beers uh you're really gonna have to twist our arm for that as uh Nick can attest to but uh, that is it. That wraps this one up. So we hope you appreciate this one. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks again, Nick. And until next time, Nestor Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.